Culinary Institute of Child Nutrition proudly welcomes you to The Mix-Up, an iBytes production. I'm your host, Chef Patrick Garmong, mixing it up with culinary experts from the child nutrition community. Welcome back to The Mix-Up. This is Chef Patrick, and I am excited to introduce you all today to Bettina Applewhite, Senior Operations Supervisor with a district in Maryland. Um, she is with the Office of Food and Nutrition Services. Welcome, Bettina. Hi, Chef. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. I, I'm so excited to have you on with us today. Um, there's a lot that we can hash into today. Um, you were become kind of a celebrity in the child nutrition world with um, your appearance on Bravo's Top Chef Amateurs, which we'll definitely be getting into. But before we jump into that, I'd like to learn a little bit more about your district, your demographics, so our listeners can kind of get an idea of how you all are applying what you do as we kind of talk through some of our stuff today. All right. Well, so my district is really diverse in lots of different ways. We have about 40%, 45% farms. And that was, of course, pre-pandemic because um, since the pandemic started, we haven't been taking any of that data. But um, our participation varies from school to school. We have over 17 different countries that are represented. And we are a huge urban district right outside of Baltimore City. So. Okay. What's your kind of estimated student enrollment, just to give our folks an idea? We have 111,000 students enrolled wow. in the county. So. Wow, that's a large, large district. <laughs> it is a large district. <laughs> Um, preparing that many meals on, you know, um, to, to serve that many students on a daily basis takes a huge undertaking. Um, can you tell me a little bit about just, you know, we're, we're kind of moving out of this, uh, even though the pandemic is still active, we're kind of looking forward, right? Like, what do we, what do we, what do we learn? How do we move forward? How do we kind of embrace the things that we've learned and take them forward, serving that large of a district? Are there some key things that you and your team have identified that you want to implement moving forward? Um, different ways that you've attacked menus or training, different strategies for hiring, just kind of, I mean, there's so many things. I, I don't even there, know. There's so, there's so many things. We, we've learned a lot during the pandemic. Like we thought we were really flexible because, you know, we, we had all these alternative methods of, you know, serving meals. We had grab and go breakfast and grab and go lines. We thought we were, you know, really fancy. And then the pandemic yeah. came and said, no, like you're really going to do grab and go. You're going to grab from the school and go home. You know, right. so, so we, what we've learned and taken away is really the flexibility. And in a lot of ways, the pandemic made us take away the walls and the boxes and the, you know, what we thought this is the way it's, it has to be done. It's removed it and it's made us more creative, more creative yeah. in the menus, you know, more creative in how we're serving the kids, more creative in everything, how we're doing trainings, how we're recruiting for hiring, you know, like there's no silly ideas at this point. We're all just trying our best to, you know, come up with, new ways, innovative ways to do the same things because we have to. Yeah, I think what I hear a lot is folks are saying that 
it is time to be innovative and be creative and break down those those former barriers that were there. I think a lot of times, uh, especially new directors will walk in and they'll talk to their managers and we've always done it this way. So we're going to keep doing it this way. And there's a lot of resistance. But now the eyes have been open to the possibilities of change because it was forced on all of us. Um, I think it really has opened a lot of avenues for creativity um, nationwide. Um, speaking of the pandemic, you were involved in a nationally televised show on Bravo, Top Chef Amateurs during the pandemic. And I want to start, I want to start off by saying I love that you came out and just represented yourself as a lunch lady and a hero in that moment. Can you tell us about what that experience was like for you? Oh, so do you have like a couple of weeks that we could talk? Yeah. <laughs> Well, the experience was amazing. It's something, of course, I'll never forget. It was in the height of the pandemic. So everything was, you know, falling apart. The world was so uncertain. And I am obsessed with Top Chef. So it's, you know, uh, a show that's been going on now for almost 20 seasons. Yeah. I've been watching since the beginning. And really am a super fan so actually in the pandemic i was like oh well there's nothing else to do let's just rewatch all the seasons <laughs> and i said to myself um if i could never you know compete with these professional chefs they're winning james beard awards working in michelin star restaurants these are true professionals and yeah. i'm an amateur but if they had an amateur version i could you know try that out and so, like a few months after these thoughts, I actually saw like a flyer for tryout, and I was like, "Well, I guess now's the time to see, you know." <laughs> yeah, put your so, put your money where your mouth is, right? Exactly. And so, you know, I I was just really successful in getting to that process. So I could I couldn't even believe that I was selected to represent and. I was really living off high from being in, you know, in that environment, but also the high from being recognized as heroes from school nutrition, because we always knew we were heroes and what, what we did was really important, but we were often overlooked. So yeah. I was always telling my staff, we're heroes, you know, this, this is how exciting we are. This is what we do. And so when Melissa King, like the Melissa King, like top chef winner and um, <laughs> wonderful, you know, person was like, oh, you feel like a superhero? And I was like, what are you talking about? I am a superhero. I'm a lunch yeah. lady. <laughs> and so it just came out naturally because that's how I naturally feel. And yeah. I know there's so many people who have, you know, different opinions about that phrase lunch lady, but I wear it very proudly <laughs> that's awesome yeah no i mean i think you know i mean it's a profession that's been around and so important to our children forever and and that's how a lot of students identify is with their lunch lady in their school and um obviously yeah there's a there's a professional um view on it and there's also that like really this is who i am and this is what i embrace and i love that you embrace that about your profession um and you're absolutely right uh child nutrition professionals have been heroes on the front lines of schools for decades and decades and you know when when they're the ones that stepped up and answered the call to be there in person during this pandemic and continue to put food out for students and nourish our communities 
um, that recognition really rang true. And I just, you being able to say that in that moment, just, I think helped elevate a lot of people and put that extra little, um, I don't know, badge of honor on their chest, knowing that you're out there representing them and us and our profession. I mean, we serve more students, we serve more meals a day than almost any restaurant in any community, right? And right. yet, I tell my staff all the time that we are the largest chain restaurant in the county. So, you know, I mean, we're serving more meals. We're doing, we're, we're there all the time. And we're, you know, just making sure that the students are fed and we're interacting with them. Like that's yeah. the fun part of like our, our jobs is that they're sometimes we're some of the first faces they see in the morning because they're coming for breakfast. Absolutely. You know, we don't know what they just came from at home, how that bus ride was or their walk to school, but who doesn't love food? Right. Yeah. So, so when you're there with a smile and something nutritious to eat, like that's, that's great. And, you know, the same thing for lunchtime, we, you know, school is hard. We've all gone through school and right. it is tough. <laughs> it doesn't so, seem to be getting easier for kids either. I mean, whoa, some of the stuff. I have no idea. Get. Like, uh, please do not help ask me to help you with your homework because I probably will not be able to help you. <laughs> Second grade math might be a challenge these days. I don't know. <laughs> for sure. So, you know, school is tough, but then you stop in the middle of the day to have a break, to have a relax. Yeah you know, and hopefully you have some smiling faces, some good food. And like I said, like good food is just always a great hug, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I found a lot of times my staff, uh, when I was a director, they would know about a child's problem sometimes before the teachers and counselors would know because they are interacting with them every day. And they're seeing those changes in them um, as they come through the line on a daily basis and, kind of, you know, expressing that worry and maybe elevating it to somebody and then you know, the counselor or teacher digs in a little deeper and they go, oh, yeah, there's something going on here. So, right. Because, um, I mean, children really, they do want to tell someone. And yeah. so if, they, if you seem like a trusting adult, they'll tell you all you have to say is like, what's wrong? And yeah. all of a sudden it just comes out, you know? Yeah. Well, and it, it, you know, they build that trust too through the customer service that they provide and getting to know their students in their schools. And I mean, you tend to see the same faces come through on a pretty regular basis. You get to know them by name. I mean, I and the school year, you know, the cashiers and servers, they know every single student by name. They know their preferences. And then if you're in a K-5 situation, man, they know them all the way through. So um, <laughs> it, it really that 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 component of having that relationship with the students and that trusted person is so important um, that that lunch person, man or woman, um, right. might be the only constant in their five years in the K-5 environment because they're changing. It's true, it's like, true. I have quite a few employees who have been at their one school for double digit years. You know, they've seen yeah. people come in and graduate out. And, you know, I can't say that for all the staff that's, you know, the teachers, the principals, you know, they rotate as well. But sometimes, like you said, there's that one person that's there that, you know, this is my consistency and we all like a little consistency. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Life, so. Well, and you touched on another thing that I really, I really loved hearing is, you know, that, that food is a comfort component, right? And they're coming into the school and it's, it's kind of their ability to maybe have a little bit of a, a mental break from everything happening in the classroom, cue up some of their social skills, but also get nourished internally 
Um, you mentioned you guys have a pretty diverse uh, population. How do you try to identify comfort foods that, um, you know, wouldn't, they don't necessarily fit in with the quote unquote Americana, I'm going to find out a kid's menu comfort food, but they resonate with different communities, um, whether it's racial, ethnic, religious, um, to try to make sure that some of their comfort foods are being represented on your menus. So it's really just talking to the students and talking to the staff. I think it's really important that we have um, menus that reflect the students that we are serving and also like the people. So I love to travel and I will <laughs> I only speak English fluently, but I will attempt to speak other languages as well. And if I know like a student who comes through and Spanish is their first language or Hindi or, yeah. you know, Swahili, I'll look three phrases I know I'll try to speak it with them and yeah. they're so excited you know just to like oh this person is really trying to relate to me so when there's right. staff there who re are really fluent in that language who are really fluent in Farsi and can speak to them and you know explain to them that this product doesn't have any pork in it because right. their religious beliefs are don't you know eat pork or i don't want to mix meat and dairy like you know in the jewish uh faith so yeah. you you want to make sure that again is that trust factor so if i can speak the language that you're speaking at home you know like i'm gonna really believe that you know what you're talking about and that i trust you when you say that there's no pork in here and right. you know i can eat this you know, without a doubt, even though it says pepperoni and, you know, somewhere else, pepperoni means pork. Right. But in our school system, you know, <laughs> it almost all shot. That's turkey, right? It's turkey. <laughs> <laughs> turkey wears a lot of hats. It can be pepperoni, it can be ham, it can be turkey, you name it. Sausage, right? Yeah. It's, it's amazing what they can do with turkey to turn into a, a pork-like product. Exactly. Yeah. See, that flexibility is we've yeah. been doing it for a while. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Addressing those needs early on. Yeah. So that's why I think it's important. Just speaking with the students, finding out about their cultures and what they like. Maybe you can do, you know, um, contests for, you know, recipe contests. And maybe they don't have you know, the skill set to meet our requirements, but they can give us a recipe and we can adapt it to meet our requirements or, yeah. you know, or if you're working with culinary students, you can give them all the requirements that we have and the restrictions that we have on sodium, on calories, and then say, hey, we're looking for something to meet this, um, this cultural, this ethnic group, you know, come up with something for us. So yeah. that's important. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of times I find that, and I am guilty of this as a chef and a former director is, I look at a recipe and I go, oh, we can't adapt that to child nutrition. Oh, we can't adapt that to child nutrition. Well, yeah, we can. Like there's, there's, a, there's a, what are the flavors? What's the flavor profile of the dish? You know, is it gonna be 100% authentic? Probably not. But, you know, we can be inspired by that and, and imitate on there. Like we're, you know, this is a bon me inspired sandwich, you know, and, and take those components and um, put together something that's equally as tasty, may not be 100% traditional, but 
at least shows our students that we're trying to meet them where they are and incorporate some of their foods into our, our menus. Right, because our even it's we as professionals may use that excuse, you know, like, oh, it's not going to be the same, you know, as what we eat out or what we have at home. But neither is the pizza. <laughs> neither right, is, right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Neither is anything else that we have. But yet, you know, it's a top seller. It's the point of being seen, right. being familiar. Um, and our culture is becoming more diverse and more integrated. Mm-hmm. So even the students, like, say, for example, um, a curry dish. There are lots of students who are familiar with curries that whose household does not like have a, a background where curry is of their ethnicity, where they grew right. up eating pork curry, for example, but they're exposed to it. There are so many different kinds of curries, like on the um, street the school is on, there's a Jamaican restaurant, they have curry. There's an Indian restaurant, they have curry. You know, so yeah. saying that they're not exposed to these different flavors is just not the truth. So even just expanding what we we think, what we like, our kids can like. And even if they haven't been exposed to it, why not expose them to it? Right, Maybe exactly. Break right. up something new in them. Get yeah. them to want to travel. Get them to, you know, oh, this flavor profile, I'm not sure of. Well, let's find out about that um, country, you know, yeah. the history of it. I mean, school school is all about learning. So why can't I learn while I'm eating too? Right. Yeah. Incorporating, incorporating some sort of educational component into the, the cafeteria is, is a great way to, to bring to light different, you know, whether it's uh, cultural recipes or just harvest of the month on a local, you know, item like it's, it's November and we're doing local carrots, you know, having a few posters up about the, the benefits of carrots and, um, you know, where you're sourcing them from and shout outs to those local growers. I mean, that's there's so many different small ways that we can educate. And, you know, I, I think a lot of times we miss an opportunity to even just put like a little poster up for a month that just right. kind of explains those things. It may seem like white noise, but, you know, even if 10 kids out of 100 read it, you got 10 kids that learned something new that day. So, exactly. And I was one of those students who would always read the, you know, flyers and read yeah. the emails. So so there are people who are out there, you know, reading it, understanding it and, and even diving deeper into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times folks get hesitant to add that educational component. So like, oh, I have to do some sort of stand and deliver to all these students and I'm nervous to do that. It could be small, small things that we can do to incorporate that messaging and that educational component into the into the cafeteria so um yeah that's that's a great reminder um i am curious to get back to this top chef conversation a little bit though because uh, i just rewatched it too before our conversation because i i just i wanted to make sure i remembered everything um <laughs> so you get there and um you know you're 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 on the set, like walk me through a little bit, like what happened next? Like, I know you probably can't disclose everything. There's, you know, trade secrets to these competitions from what you can (laughs) share. Like what, what was some of that, um, those initial feelings and, um, and then just once you get introduced, like, this is what you're going to be doing. Holy smokes. Like, how did you even process that thought? 
Oh, holy smokes and processing is all like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> because to be completely honest, I did not know my brain could work that fast and have so many tabs open at the same time. Like I'm one of those people who will be like, yes, I multitask. I have like 10 tabs open on my browser and I'm going between each of them. And I was literally while on set, like maybe chopping an onion, but thinking about, okay, what am, what am I saying? What's the next thing? How much time is left on the clock? Like, I really didn't even know that my brain could process all that time. It was, it was insane. And yeah, then, so then it's like also trying to savor the moment, you know, like I'm cooking alongside Dale Talde, who is like an acclaimed restaurateur and, you know, trying to tell him what to do. Are you serious? Right. <laughs> so the kind of the first part of your challenge was to fillet whole fish and you have, you chose red snapper. Um, kudos to you. That is a challenging fish to fillet if you're not uh, skilled at it, but you did it masterfully. You're the first one to get your fillets done and knocked out. Like what? I, I just can't even like, uh, put myself in that moment like what was that like to have to fillet a fish on television i mean you had you had a great chef next to you to kind of help mentor you through it but just how did you feel inside going through that moment of like oh boy i i got this to do now <laughs> so they tell you that you have to fillet a fish and like i mean just adrenaline is just pumping through your body so you have to run and grab a fish i got snapper i wanted snapper so i was glad that i um was able to get to it and then it was like oh yeah now you have to do something with this fish you can't just like cook it whole and be like be careful don't eat the boats right right <laughs> and so um it was really just at that moment like okay just remain calm because and listen to dale and just really focus on what he's saying drown out all the noise and just um, you know, carefully go through the process because I yeah. didn't want to cut myself. If right, I had that's to what I was going to say. Like, myself, then I, you know, uh, that was yeah, a that, disaster. That's one of the first things like I always bring up in knife training is like, okay, this is not a competition television show. No one needs to be chopping at a million miles an hour. We're, we're practicing learning a skill and that requires muscle memory. So really focus on your cuts, focus on your hand placement, focus on these things. And you're thrown into like, okay, here's a, here's a whole fish, break it down and don't cut yourself on national TV. <laughs> right. So I was just like praying the whole time, basically. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to remain calm. I, I don't know. I have oh, no man. idea. I probably couldn't even do it again. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Just kind of like, do you feel like you're above watching yourself do this task and like just a complete out of body experience? <laughs> It was, I couldn't even, it was, everything was going so fast. I couldn't even go outside my body. I was just yeah. like, was, <laughs> you're not going anywhere. Get back in. And right. Just stay right here. Like focus, focus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how do you feel like that experience has helped you in your, your current job with your school district? Oh, it, it helped me to see that one, I was, probably more prepared than I expected to be because of working where 
I am in school nutrition. Yeah. So, you know, we're always competing against the time clock. We are always. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> right. We are always being creative with what we're doing. And we were right in the middle of a pandemic. So we were like those senses were intensified as yeah. far as the creativity and, you know, everything that we had to go through. Um, and being quick because we started the pandemic not knowing how many students would come out and participate. And then next thing you know, there's, you know, people actually coming out. So yeah. being able to have quick turnarounds and coming up with menus and foods that were served ready to, that we were preparing to be served immediately and now you're taking it home. You know, those are our differences, but, but yeah, it was, it was, it was great. It also let, let me know that like I can and school nutrition in general can stretch its bounds. Like a a lunch lady (laughs) can be on top chef and compete you know, and, and do and do well. And it was just like, oh, so why are we putting these boundaries on ourselves? Because when I even was applying for the um, show, my thought process was just continue to go through the process until they say no. And then they, yeah, yeah. they just didn't say no. So <laughs> I just kept going. <laughs> but um, that's the same thing, I think, for us, like, for menu ideas, for staffing ideas, for what we're doing, why are we putting limitations on ourselves? Just keep going until we hit a wall and then figure out how to scale the wall, you know, figure out like how to get around it. So I think it was just, it just let me know that we were putting limits on ourselves Mm -hmm. and we don't have to, you know, we, we can definitely keep going. Like the pandemic really already was doing that, but then to be on Top Chef, <laughs> you were like, oh, yeah. I can't even. <laughs> yeah. So I got a question for you. When when they said your dish needed a little bit more salt, were you like, um, excuse me, I work in child nutrition and sodium is something that, we be, that we're very mindful of. Um, so my dish actually won because I cooked it the I right way. I was meeting the meal pattern requirements. Thank yeah, you. Right. I was meeting all the USDA requirements. I probably was already at level two yeah. for the sodium <laughs> restrictions. So right. thank you. I already yeah. won. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a dietitian. <laughs> yeah. I work in school food. Of course, our sodium levels are low. <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to switch char to shine through and not taste the salt. Are you kidding me? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> right you have to have a vegetable with your meal to make it complete so yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly no that was i mean your your dish looked phenomenal i was like again yesterday i was watching i was like drooling through my computer screen like oh my gosh I, how do i get a hold of that oh. um yeah so i actually think know, i published the recipe like I, 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 yeah, I went back home and of course, you know, remade it a couple of times and again, yeah. I published the, the recipe. Is it, where, where can I find it? Cause I'm going after it. <laughs> it's on, it's on my uh, blog, Bites okay. with Apple White. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your blog? Bites with Apple White. Bites with Apple White. No, that's a fun yes. name. <laughs> that's really fun. So what led you into pursuing a career in child nutrition? I, 
I don't know, what field did you work in before and what brought you to where, where you're at? I am a registered dietitian. So I became a registered dietitian because I love food and I uh -huh. love science. And so I was like, oh, there's a nutrition degree where you can put both of those things together. That sounds great. So that's what I went for. And I started my career in clinical, doing uh -huh. um, working in long-term care, um, seeing patients. When I still see some patients in um, home settings, but I always knew that I wanted to do school nutrition. Because during the dietetic internship, you do rotations through, excuse me, all the different areas that you could possibly work in. So that way you can have some experience. And it's kind of a great way to get your feet wet. Yeah. And I was only at like doing my school nutrition rotation for a short time, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed huh. interacting with the students and teaching them about food and how to be healthy and eat healthy. And so that's where I always had like a focus to be. So I was working clinical, but I'm like, okay, what's, what steps are going to take me to back to um, school food? So that's, that's what I really um, enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like if you, if you're comfortable with it, like uh, take me back to like what, you know, that first advertisement or that first job post and it was in school nutrition to just kind of like think, okay, is now the right time? Do I jump from clinical to child nutrition? Like, I remember my story was, I was, you know, a restaurant chef and uh, we were, I was working, you know, 16 hours a day, way. 10 days like, a week. Oh, wait, weekends yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. And my wife was like, I want to have kids. And I was like, I'd like to have kids too, but this isn't conducive. So I found that ad and a friend of mine actually brought it to my attention. And I was like, well, I'll just go after it and see what happens. Like, what was your kind of moment? So I went through, uh, I guess, a, a couple of different steps. So I had to cross over from clinical to food service. And I mm -hmm. still did food service in a clinical setting. So in like a hospital, long-term care setting. And then I was like, all right, I've, I've, I'm ready now. And so I saw a couple of postings and you, they said, no, <laughs> they said, no, thank you. We'll take someone else. And But I never, I didn't stop. Yeah. So I was like, nope, this is where I want to be. And after a couple of times, you know, in different uh, places, finally someone said, okay. And I knew this was the right fit for me because yeah. we felt like home when I got there. Like I was so excited on the different projects I could work on and interacting with the students. You know, I was so excited. I, I mean, I still am. So I'm, if I'm ever serving in a school, more than likely I'm cheering and getting the students really riled up for their green beans and anything yeah. else, any other vegetable. I think I've gotten in trouble a couple times with the lunch aides trying to keep the cafeteria down. But, uh, but um, yeah, and I just kept growing in, um, in school nutrition. And yeah. I've been working with the School Nutrition Association on different committees there. So, you know, once sometimes you have to try things out and fill your way. But once you get there, you really know it. You know, you know, this is what's for you. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel that your time kind of transitioning from the clinical piece to working in the food service aspect in, in, the, in the medical setting helped you with kind of understanding the management aspect of food service? And 
was able to help kind of draw you into being a better leader when you moved into schools? Oh, for sure. Um, when you switch over to food service, you're, and especially in a clinical setting, you have just as much regulations as you do in school nutrition. So yeah. you're really familiar that transition from like clinical or um, healthcare food service to school food service. The terminology may be different, but you're used to following certain guidelines. There's a lot more menus and um, alter textures that you have to follow in clinical as well. So you're you're used to that, which is great mm-hmm. um, when you come over. But it also again gives you a lot of experience with working in different areas like of the kitchen you know you're getting coming from clinical and um it's it's helpful because you understand like the nutrition behind it but as far as how like the kitchen works you really don't understand it until you work in it yeah and and so once you understand that Oh, I, I'm not just making 200 servings of rice on the top of the stove. I'm I'm baking it. I'm putting it in the the steamer. What? Yeah. what? This is this is not exactly translate the way that it translates at home. Right. So, you know, you, it's good to have the, those experiences. And I mean, even anyone coming from like any kind of food service, restaurants, you know, fine dining, um, fast food. I think. School nutrition is a great, you know, segue. It's a great um, career path there. You can start off as, you know, a cafeteria worker and end up being the director. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, absolutely. It's, it's a great path to, you know, and it's a nice career, you know, weekends off, yeah. holidays. Right. I mean, I'm off on holidays now that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> 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 presidents what right like who? <laughs> somebody's birthday what <laughs> yeah i love though that you're you've really emphasized the word career so much i think that um you know and, and coupling that career and lunch lady right i mean i think a lot of times people get into child nutrition as um and maybe in those you know entry-level positions like hey this works really well for my schedule right now my kids are in school i want summers off with them you know, I want to be able to have those vacations and holidays with them. And then they kind of start growing into their own and growing into these positions. And you're right. I mean, you can go from starting out as a, as a food service worker, doing dishes and maybe serving a little bit to growing all the way up to manager, supervisor, director levels with that, you know, having a vision on growing your career. And um, that's something that I think we all as child nutrition professionals, especially in the leadership core, need to start impressing upon those coming into the field is, is this is a career path and to grow yourself and to allow us to help nurture and grow you because we've got a lot of folks retiring in the next few years or folks that maybe we're going to retire in a few years that are looking at it like, oh, this pandemic's been a <laughs> been a little bit of a stressor on me and that, that, uh, right. I'm know, that retirement time's coming up. So, <laughs> you know. So and we work, at, we work for school systems. So a lot of those school systems will give you uh, tuition reimbursement. They have a, a lot of benefits. So you can start off right up after high school and, you know, get get all the um, take advantage of all the benefits that you can, you know. Yeah. 
it, it's it's a a great thing. It's a great experience. It's it's really a good career. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, I've worked in university settings. I've worked in restaurants. My favorite by far is child nutrition. It's um, is it challenging? Yes, but you get to watch your work grow and nurture with people as they move through. And uh, it, there's nothing more rewarding than that, knowing that, you know, maybe you start with someone in kindergarten and, and you get to, they get to change along with you as you change your right. program over that 12 year or 13 year with kindergarten period. So it's just and so I rewarding. It's so rewarding. And once you, you know, become a supervisor on whatever level, if you're supervising at the elementary or a manager, or if you become a regional person or a central office person, you can still see get that reward from both sides. You can yeah. see the growth in the students. You can see them so excited to like, what is this, you know, prickly dragon fruit thing that you're trying to get me to eat, you know, <laughs> and, yeah, and they yeah. try it and it's like, oh, I like it. You know, you can get that reward, but you can also see the reward and development of your staff and how Absolutely. they went from, you know, being timid around the kids to, you know, they're um, the children's favorite person or, yeah. you know, the biggest um, cheerleader. Right. And you can yeah. see the staff also grow from, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And, you know, to now they're running their own school. And a lot of times we, I really try to encourage our like um, second language um, staff, like mm. English as a second language staff, but to continue to advance in, in the department as well, because yeah. a lot of times they may think that, oh, my English is not well enough to be able to interact, but I understand you. So it's yeah. it's fine, you know. Yeah. So you can do this. You you know everything I know. So you can go ahead and you know get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of my favorite stories is, and she made manager after I um, moved to the ICN. But a gal I brought on in my second or third year with my district started as an elementary school cashier, and she's now the manager of the district's um, high school, which is also the central kitchen. So, I mean, she's, you know, in no time at all, just through perseverance, working hard, learning, diligence, and a few retirements, she, right. she got up there, you know, but she pushed herself. And when she started, I mean, it was drinking from a fire hose, learning child nutrition, and, right. uh, but, she, but she just, you know, took it all in. I mean, there's so much to learn initially, there's and so I think much that can be learn. an overwhelming part for folks. Just taking a little chunk. She can't eat the whole cake in one That's bite. Right but you, you can eat it fork by fork. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Well, Bettina, I asked for an hour of your time and we're coming up on the hour. So I want to be respectful of that. And I want to thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of The Mix Up. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. I have been so um, welcomed and thank you so much for having me on. I have been excited to share my story and I'm always excited to talk about child nutrition. So, and of course, top chef amateurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, one, one of my friends asked me, well, did she get to meet Padme? And I was like, oh, I don't think she was on there that, or Pad, Padme Lodge. Uh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Gail Simmons was our host and she yeah. was a wonderful host. So I w was so excited that I had her and, you know, I had some tough judges, but it's, I mean, um, Kwame, Chef Kwame said that he was excited to eat my food. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, right. <laughs> That's enough right there, right? Done. I can, yeah. Yeah, you can sign off now. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us and join us on the next mix up. We'll see you next time. Join us next time as we continue to mix it up with culinary experts from the child nutrition community. I've been your host, Chef Patrick Garmong from the Culinary Institute of Child Nutrition. Hey, don't forget to wash your hands. This project has been funded at least in part with federal funds from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Food and Nutrition Service through an agreement with the Institute of Child Nutrition at the University of Mississippi. The contents of this publication do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, nor does mention of trade names, commercial products, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. The University of Mississippi is an EEO AA Title VI, Title IX, Section 504, ADA, ADEA employer. In accordance with federal law and U.S. Department of Agriculture policy, this institution is prohibited from discriminating on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, age, or disability. To file a complaint of discrimination, write USDA Director, Office of Civil Rights, Room 326W, Whitney Building, 1400 Independence Avenue, Southwest, Washington, D.C., 202-509410 or call 202-720-5964. USDA is an equal opportunity provider and employer.